It's a joy to be back together with you this morning and to open the Word of God. Our text this morning will be Titus, the book of Titus in the New Testament, just after First and Second Timothy. You'll find the little book of Titus, and we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Keep your finger there, or your Bible open to it, or your device, and we will, uh, in a moment, read that text and see what the Lord has to say to us from that. You all remember the the little nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Well, Humpty Dumpty had an unsolvable problem. As you know, the nursery rhyme goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Now I know that's a strange way to start a, a message. But like Humpty Dumpty, we have a problem. It's actually an unsolvable problem on our own. However, unlike Humpty, our problem has a solution. So taking our cue from the nursery rhyme, someone has penned these four lines. Jesus Christ came to our wall Jesus Christ died for our fall so that regardless of death in spite of sin through grace he Jesus Christ can put us together again that's good news that's the gospel of Christ because God's grace is the glue that has taken the broken pieces of our lives and put them back together again. Fallen and rebellious sinners that we are, wicked as we are, full of sin, God gives us His sovereign, unmerited, unmeasured grace and love untold. And one of the beautiful things about grace is that it isn't complicated by man's effort. It's a gift. God doesn't need our cooperation to save us. And this is the consistent message of the Word of God. These are familiar words, but listen to them again in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. The beginning of that chapter, you know, speaks to us as being dead in trespasses and sins. But watch this. Some of the greatest words in the Scripture are right here in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. Don't you love that? He's rich in mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. He's rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespass. Even when we were broken and there was no way to put us back together again, He made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Purpose now, so that, purpose statement, so that, why did He do that? So in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There is no greater gift that you can receive than the marvelous, unmeasured grace of God. And He sheds this grace upon us so that in the ages to come, He will raise us up and show the immeasurable riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If there's anything to be happy about and to be glad about in this season, it certainly is that. That God has shed His grace in an unmeasured way upon our broken lives. You might say that grace is a one-word summary of everything that God has done for us to put us back together again. Peter calls Him the God of grace. And He has given us the greatest gift to those who deserve the fullest and greatest judgment. Salvation by grace is the exact opposite of salvation by works. And Paul makes this clear in Romans eleven six when he says, But if salvation is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Since grace is God's unmerited favor to undeserving sinners, the only appropriate way to receive the grace of God is by faith. Romans 4.16 says, This is why salvation depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. The promise of salvation rests on the unmeasured grace of God. You see, only by grace through faith in Christ alone can you be put back together again. But this grace doesn't stop at the point of our salvation. It is actually at work right now throughout your entire Christian life, until the day that you enter into the presence of God, grace is always at work, giving you strength, helping you, directing you. You know that Paul's most frequent address to the churches that he wrote to and that he ministered to was that word grace, grace to you. He said it over and over again. Romans 1, 7, and not only to the churches but to the individual Christians like Titus. If you're in Titus, just slip back to chapter 1 for a moment, and you'll see that he offered this to Titus. He spoke of it to Titus. Chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So we say with Paul, 
by the grace of God. What is it? I am what I am. By the grace of God. I am what I am. So, living a godly life, living in holiness, can seem often as difficult as putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. But it's right at this critical point in our lives right now that grace appears. For grace not only makes salvation possible, it makes the Christian life possible. And so I would ask you to, to look again at Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to read the text beginning at verse 11 through 15. Titus 2. You know what comes before this is a list of different kinds of things, different qualities about holiness and how we ought to live our lives. And he goes through several different types of people, old people, young people, so forth. And then he says this, Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, for all kinds of people. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter any of those things. It's for all people. But notice, training us, this grace of God now, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's the church who are zealous for good works. And so Paul says to Titus, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. What we see in this text is four things, four aspects of grace. God's amazing grace redeems. God's amazing grace redeems, verse 11. God's amazing grace purifies, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. God's amazing grace, number three, glorifies. Because we're waiting for the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you waiting for Him? Oh, always be on the lookout. Always be watching. And fourth, the great, amazing grace of God works. Grace redeems. Grace purifies. Grace glorifies. And grace works. 
Let's look to the Lord for prayer as we unpack these four qualities of grace. Father, thank you. Oh, how, how can we say more? How can we acknowledge greater ways of your grace that have come to our lives? We were broken. We were scattered. We were living in chaos. And then your grace came in the person of Jesus Christ. And you put us back together again. Father, for those of us in this room that continue to struggle, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with, with difficulty. May your grace fill us today before, because you are an abundant God who gives an abundant supply of grace. There's, it's unmeasured. You can't get to the bottom of it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Now help us, Lord, to take to heart the truth of the Word of God. May your Spirit teach us today that we would live godly lives in this present age waiting for your coming. Bless your Word, Father, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Grace redeems. See it in verse 11? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, bringing redemption for all people. Someone has said that heaven goes by favor, another word for grace. Heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. <laughs> you see, the only road to heaven is paved by God's grace. For the grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, redemption, the payment of the price of our sin to all kinds of people. God's grace has made its grand appearance to put us back together again. Like the sunrise, grace has shed its powerful light into our darkness. And grace saw its full manifestation in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You remember this word in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. You remember the beginning of that chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. In verse 14, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Watch. Full of what? Grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. And so the incarnation teaches us that Christianity is more than a set of ideas. It's more than some kind of ideal. It's more than striving to be better, a better person. It is a person. Christianity is Jesus. It is a person. He is Christianity. He is grace. And he came to this earth and became a man in order to save, redeem, pay the price for us. And so the words grace and salvation summarize the meaning of the incarnation of Jesus. He is full 
full, unmeasured of grace and truth. And when he came, he brought us salvation. He brought redemption to the broken lives of men and women. Paul makes this clear in Titus 2, verse 14. Notice it there. Titus 2, 14. Jesus, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. He paid the redemption price, the price of dying and shedding his blood for our sin. He paid the redemption price to redeem us, to release us, to take our shackles away from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself a people for his own possession. Jesus paid the ransom price freeing us from the bondage of sin so that in Christ, Ephesians 1, 7, you have redemption through His blood. Oh, this is good, isn't it? The forgiveness of sin. Oh, how wonderful, how precious. And so we sing those words that are so familiar to us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amen? Oh, wonderful. What a wonderful message the grace of God is. And it's at the cross of Christ that the redeeming grace of God is vividly portrayed. The filth of sin was sweeping us helplessly on to a hell-bound death. But Jesus covered himself with the muck of our sin and rescued us. And while we were still muddy, think of it, while we were still muddy with sin, he embraced us. He loved us. And so... We are redeemed. Grace redeems. But some may say at this point, well, that's good to be concerned, but how do, how do we take this grace and use it to live a godly life now that we have been saved by grace? Is that just enough? Is that all that we need? No, because God rescued us and desires that we stay out of the mud and muck of sin. He has worked through grace to purify us. Notice it there in verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, verse 11, bringing salvation for all people. What's this grace going to do besides redeem, which is critical? Training us. So we're in the school of grace. Grace is the teacher. Jesus Christ is grace. He's teaching us. And what is he teaching us through the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us? He's teaching us to say no. Just say no. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And instead live in the present, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When? Right now. 
right now. Right now, you're in the schoolroom of grace. And grace is constantly teaching you, say no. Say no to temptation. Say no to ungodliness. Say no to worldly passions. And instead, be self-controlled. Well, you're going to say to me, and I say to myself, that's tough. Hey, I know. I look in the mirror every day. I know what I am. I know what I do. I know the temptations I face. And you to face them too. We're no different in that respect, are we? No. We are constantly being bombarded with temptation to stray, to turn away. And we can't fight sin on our own, beloved. You, you can't. You're no match for sin. I'm no match for sin. It's impossible for me to be strong against sin in my own flesh because my flesh is tainted. It's corrupt. And so grace comes. And grace teaches us. And you know, we do have that struggle. I know you have the struggle because I have the struggle. And do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? In Romans chapter 7. I love this passage because it just says, this is you, Joe. This is you. This is what you deal with. Paul dealt with it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote all these wonderful, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote these wonderful words. But this is what he said about the struggle. Romans seven twenty one. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right... And you know, we do have evil lies close at hand. And do you remember what For I delight in the law of God, in, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. I've lived a long time. I'll be 81 next week. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of wretchedness in those 81 years. When we really face who we are, without the glorious grace of God transforming us, redeeming us, purifying us, we are truly wretched people. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will put me back together again? Who will make my life not chaotic, but peaceful? Oh, isn't it wonderful that Paul doesn't leave us hanging in our wretchedness? Thanks be to God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself serve the law of God, that is, my flesh would serve the law, or rather our spirit would serve the law of God, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is that conflict that goes on all through our Christian life. And grace, 
works in us to purify us and give us the power through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to say no, to turn away from temptation, to say no to worldly passions. Purifying grace enables us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so Paul's imperative in Galatians 5 is this, but this I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me encourage you that right now, this very day, this very moment, you can walk in a godly life. You can be more and more like Christ because you are enabled by the purifying grace of God through the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So we would ask then, how long will I be in this classroom of purifying grace? All your life. Until you enter into the presence of Christ. You are a student in the purifying grace of God. Until the appearing, verse 13 of Titus 2. Until the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace redeems, guaranteeing our salvation. Grace purifies us, enabling us to live a godly and holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us if you are a believer. And third, grace glorifies For we always live in anticipation of the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our sure hope. It is not a question. It is a sure hope. We can be confident in this, that the God of grace will, through Jesus Christ, will someday come in a blaze of glory to reign over this world. And on that glorious day, Romans 8 tells us, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The curse is still on our earth, on our, in our universe. But there will come a day when that curse will be lifted, that bondage to corruption will be de- destroyed, and even the creation will be freed by the grace of God and the work of God. For that glorious day of Christ appearing, Romans 8 goes on to say, we ourselves wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now just think about this. Through salvation, God's grace has redeemed you in your spirit. You are a son or child of God. But what about this flesh? Well, when Jesus comes, it says, we wait eagerly for the adoption of, of God as sons, the redemption of our of our body. Remember that Paul talked about he was in his flesh, he, he followed the law of sin. 
It kept him in bondage. But there's coming a day when this very body, this flesh, will be redeemed. It will be transformed. And then, on that day, sin that has corrupted us and broken us will be totally erased. Nevermore again to have to battle with this flesh. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that marvelous that God is going to do that? Philippians 3.21 says that when Christ appears, He will transform the body of our humble estate. Oh, this, this is amazing. Into conformity with the body of His glory. Can you imagine it? I can't imagine it. I can't get my head around the fact that I am going to have a body that will be as glorious as the body of the resurrected Jesus. He will transform this body of humble estate to conform with the body of His glory. The promise of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is the reason why we are always in the classroom of purifying grace. This anticipation of glorifying grace trains us then to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And so this sure knowledge of the future glorifying grace is why... As 1 John 3 says, everyone who has this hope in Christ <clears throat> purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Living a godly life in this present age requires you to learn to do spiritually, watch this now, to learn to do spiritually what is impossible <clears throat> physically. What is that? It is to look in opposite directions at the same time. You look back and you remember God's redeeming grace in the incarnation of Christ. And at the same time, you look forward in anticipation of the appearing of the great God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we say with Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So grace redeems, grace purifies, grace glorifies, and finally grace works. Look at it again there in verse 14 of Titus 2. 
Jesus, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, that's the church, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Redeemed from sin by grace, purified to live godly lives as children of God through grace, and through grace always looking forward to the coming of Christ. And in the meantime, as we live through grace, we are zealous, we are hot, we are compelled for good works. Now you know believers are justified and sanctified made holy by the grace of God. Do you realize that you are already glorified in the sight of God through Jesus Christ? You are always already in the sight of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You already are as perfect as you'll ever be. But that isn't our experience right now. We're still struggling, as we said, with, with sin. But because of the substitutionary death of Jesus... We are justified, we are sanctified in the sight of God, we are glorified already, Paul puts it in the present tense, in the sight of God. In the sight of God, through Christ, we are made the righteousness of God in Him. So salvation from redeeming grace to purifying grace to glorifying grace is the work of God alone. But what about good works? How do they fit into this picture? Well, if you put Ephesians 2.10 next to Titus 2.14, you get the answer. We read Ephesians 2 about the grace of God who's, that saves us. But verse 10 says this, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, that is Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus... For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Redeeming grace saved you without a scintilla of good works on your part. Purifying and glorifying grace enables you to do good works as this was the purpose of the new creation. You see, grace doesn't stop with salvation. Grace keeps working in the process of sanctification. Grace works in progressively conforming us to the image of Christ. So there is no salvation without discipleship. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, your life has changed and your life will change for you will continually, as you look for the appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, you will continually want to be more holy, to walk more like Christ. The struggle's still there, but that will be your desire. Grace works in maturing us in the knowledge of God. God's grace works to purify us 
Grace works compelling us to do good works. God's grace compels godliness and holy living. Grace works. The purest motivation for godliness in this present age is based on what God has done and will soon complete at His coming again. When we begin to grasp God's redeeming grace, His purifying grace, His glorifying grace for us, our passion, our zealousness for living sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age will become white hot. That's how grace works. So once again, grace redeems, grace purifies, grace glorifies, grace works. Grace teaches us to leave this old life of sin and disobedience and to live as new creatures in Christ. Grace teaches us to always be looking for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Humpty Dumpty may have had an unsolvable problem, but you don't. The good news is Jesus Christ came to your wall Jesus Christ died for your fall so that regardless of death in spite of sin through grace he can put you back together again let's pray oh dear father gracious God how marvelous how amazing is your grace for us and certainly at this time of year as we begin to think and celebrate your coming as through the incarnation of Jesus Christ who came as a man and died for our sin as one who was full of grace and truth may our hearts be tuned to the work of the Holy Spirit today as he teaches us these amazing truths from his word. We give you thanks, we honor, worship, and praise you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.